We are preaching through the book of Matthew. We're in the 17th chapter, and we're going to begin reading with verse 14. We're going to march through this chapter as far as we can. Today is a spectacular passage of Scripture. Not that they're not all spectacular, but this is an amazing type of Christ and a deliverance that Jesus Christ brings to people that are tormented. And how many understand today the world has a lot of tormenting spirits in the world today, a lot of, a lot of people being tormented, and we want lives to be changed by the power of Christ. Let's all stand and turn in your Bibles to the book of Matthew, verse, uh, chapter 17. We'll begin reading with verse 14 of this chapter. If you found it, say amen. If you don't have a Bible with you, the Word of God is always lit up here in the church. You can follow along on our screen. Verse 14, and when they were come to the multitude, that is Peter, James, John, and Jesus coming down off the mount, there came to Jesus a certain man kneeling down to him saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is a lunatic. Now, in biblical days, Luna meant moon. They, they felt that people that were stricken with some kind of disease of a mental nature were moonstruck. And so that just tells you one thing, stay out of the moonshine. Amen. And he was sore vexed, for oftentimes he falleth into the fire and often into the water. And I brought him to thy disciples, and they could not cure him. Then Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him hither to me. And Jesus rebuked the devil, and he departed out of him, and the child was cured from that very hour. Then came the disciples to Jesus apart and said, Why could not we cast him out? And Jesus said unto them, Because of your unbelief, for verily I say unto you, If you have faith as the grain of a mustard seed, ye shall say unto this mountain, Remove hence yonder place, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible unto you. Howbeit this kind goeth not out but by prayer and fasting. And while they abode in Galilee, Jesus said unto them, The Son of Man shall be betrayed into the hands of men, and they shall kill him, and the third day he shall be raised again. And they were exceeding sorrowful or sorry. I want to use for a subject this morning the tortured Man, or I could say the tortured son. You may be seated. Now, I'm going to talk to you today about the story of this child or this son being delivered from demons or from a demon. But I want to share with you where it's the whole story. I love Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you need to go to all four Gospels, at least the, the synoptic Gospels that we're looking at. The story is found of this tormented son in the 17th chapter of Matthew where we just read. 
the ninth chapter of Mark in much detail and the ninth chapter of Luke in somewhat detail. So I'm going to share with you the story and what transpired and what brought me to understand this passage of Scripture more clearly as a type of Christ and a typology of what Christ can do in someone's life. I'm talking about a tormented son. In Luke, the account says that this son was the father's only child, his only son. Also in the book of Luke, it tells us that this son was so vexed with the devil that there was no cure for him and the the disciples could not bring about a cure. As we look at this passage of Scripture, and in the Gospel of Luke, it says, as Jesus comes down off the mount, that's Mount Hermon, the tallest mountain in Israel, in Caesarea Philippi area. And when he comes down out of the mountain, which was the Mount Transfiguration, Peter, James, and John was with him up on the mountain. Someone said, Peter, James, and John were not down in the valley because they would have been able to remove the devil. I don't think so. I think they were up. I believe Jesus was babysitting them. Peter, James, and John. Trust me, Peter needed to be babysitted. And Jesus was transfigured there on that mountain in his glorious state before he came to planet earth. The glory that he had with his father. So bright, I believe he lit up the stars, lit up the heavens, and lit up all around Caesarea Philippi, even down into Jerusalem. For the lamb will be the light thereof, that great city, when the city comes down out of heaven. So Jesus will be the light, and he was shining brightly on this mountain. You know the story how they they thought that they could build a tabernacle, a, a tent, basically a brush arbor type situation for Elijah and Moses and Jesus. And how the Father interrupted them and and a bright cloud overshadowed them. And God spoke to Peter, James, and John and said, This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Hear him. And when the cloud left, Jesus was there alone. Moses and Elijah had vacated the mountain. Now, Peter stated that it was so good to be there. I have to agree with him. If I had been there, I would not have wanted to come down either. It's true, it was good for them to be there. But at the same time, there was a young boy, a a son at the bottom of the mountain that was literally being tormented by a powerful species of a demon. I'll come come to that in just a little bit why I'm saying it's a different kind. It's another species. It's a a fallen uh, creature with great power had came upon this, this young son. And so when Jesus comes down off the mountain, he sees 
a group of leaders gathered around the disciples and they were asking questions. In fact, they were, uh, these were probably Pharisees, scribes, whatever, and they were, they were asking the disciples questions. They, I think they were humiliating them because if you read the story, you'll discover that while Jesus and Peter, James, and John was on the mountain, the disciples were down at the bottom of the mountain in the valley area, and they were literally uh, bombing out. They were, they, were, they were not able to cast the devil out of this young son. And I believe that they were being criticized and ridiculed. And let me say this, no church, no church should be without the gospel and the power of Jesus Christ lest we be criticized for our deadness and lukewarmness. We need to be excited, we need to be thrilled, and we need to be infused with the power of God. Lest the world mock us and make fun of us. And so these leaders were mocking these disciples. Jesus comes down and says, what are you doing? What is it that you're doing here? And the son of the, the father of the boy that was possessed said, I brought my son to your disciples. I brought him to you. Let me tell you, friends, when someone brings someone into this house, they're not bringing them to just you and I. They're bringing them to Jesus Christ. We are a representative of God's word. And we are a representative of God's power. And we should never be caught without prayer. We should never be caught without strength in our life. We should never be caught, bummed out, washed out. We should always be excited and thrilled and empowered with the power and the word of God. The music ought to be high. The preaching ought to be exhaustive and powerful. I didn't say exhausting, exhaustive and powerful. Uh, sometimes the preaching's exhausting for my end of it. But anyway, the, the church should be infused with great power. And so when Jesus comes upon them, they say, uh, the father says, I brought my son to your disciples. And he used the term in one of the other gospels that I brought him to you. And they failed. And they could not cast this demon out of this son of mine. And Jesus Christ says, well, bring him to me. Wow, we could preach there for an hour. Jesus said, bring him to me. I can't save him, but Jesus can. I can't deliver him, but Jesus can. If you're bringing anyone to a man, it's the wrong move. Bring them to Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ said to them, bring your son. Said to the father, bring your son to me. And the scripture says that as they were bringing, as the father was bringing his son, Luke chapter 9, verse 42, as he was yet coming, the devil threw him down and tear him. This young man, this son, was being tormented by a powerful fallen creature. He was a tortured young man. He was a tortured son. And in the process of it, the father too was tortured. 
And as they bring this young man to Jesus, as he's coming, the Bible says the devil takes him and slams him to the ground, that young possessed man. He was deaf and he couldn't talk. And the devil slammed him on the ground, tore him as they were bringing him to Jesus Christ. And the reason for that is simply this. The devil knows he has but a short time. The devil knows that he is running out of time. When you see Jesus on the horizon, the devil knows he's running out of time. This young man, tormented by this creature, this fallen creature, tormented by various ailments in his life, couldn't hear, couldn't speak. When the devil saw Jesus, he panicked. And he knew that his time was short. Just like this world is a young earth. And the devil knows that his time is short. So he's going to torment everyone on this planet to the best of his ability. He's going to slam them down with oppression, slam them down with discouragement, slam them down with sickness and disease. The devil's going to torment this world because he knows he's running out of time. And just as that young man Slammed to the ground. I believe he, he'd been beaten. He, he probably had brain concussions. He probably had broken bones that had, that had mended back crooked. I, I believe that he was, because this had happened over a period of many years as the son, the child was growing up, and the demon was just literally tormenting this young son. And the world is relative young too. And Satan is literally tormenting this planet. But he knows, the devil knows, that he has but a short time. In fact, in Revelation chapter 12, verse 12, it's very clear. As you read in the 12th chapter, Satan is cast out to earth. In verse 12, it says, Therefore rejoice you, ye that are in the heavens, ye that dwell in them. Woe unto the inhabitants of the earth and the sea. For the devil has come down unto you having great wrath because he knoweth he has but a short time. I want you to know the devil is running out of time. I want you to know the persecution is going to come to an end. Sickness and disease is going to be broken. And Jesus Christ is going to remove these torturous moments in mankind by his incredible strength. Jesus Christ will deliver this planet from all sickness and disease and all pain and sorrow and every tear shall be wiped away from our eyes. For Jesus is Lord and he has conquered death, hell, and the grave. And so as the father brings this boy to Jesus, this young son to Jesus, the devil slams him to the ground because he panics. He's trying his best to kill him before Jesus could heal him. And I want you to know the devil's trying his best to kill you 
before Jesus can heal you. The devil's trying his best to destroy you before Jesus Christ can recreate you and save you and refresh you. The devil is trying to confuse your mind, confuse your understanding of God. He's trying to lead you astray before the clear gospel of Jesus Christ can be presented in your mind and your life be totally transformed. The devil knows he has but a short time. He knows he's about out of time. And that's why he slammed this young boy to the ground. That's why he came at this young boy with the fierceness of his power trying to destroy this young man. And that young man is on the ground. That's, that son of this father is on the ground. He's wallowing. He's, he's foaming at the mouth. He's broken. He's torn. His body is, is probably brittle and been broken and broken and broken. His mind is tormented. And he's, he's going through such a horrific time. Remember, the disciples could not deliver this young son. And then Jesus asked the question to the father, how long has he been this way? In Mark chapter 9, here's what it says. Verse 21 and 22, and Jesus asked his father, how long is it ago since this came unto him? And he said, of a child. And oftentimes, it would cast him into the fire, and it would cast him into the waters to destroy him. But if thou canst do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Now, why did Jesus ask this father, how long has it been? When this young man is on the ground being tormented, and, and Satan has got his its cold hands wrapped around its, its vital organs to kill. Jesus asked the Father, how long has this been going on? Why did Jesus ask how long? He wanted to hear the Father. He wanted to hear the Father's pain. He wanted to hear the Father's Hopelessness, his fear, his anxiety. He wanted to hear the Father's heart. And not only did he want to hear this Father's pain, this, this pain inflicted upon this Father, but he wanted his disciples to hear it. He wanted his powerless disciples to hear that they're needed in this world. He wanted his disciples to hear that they need to, they need to, they need to, they need to God up. I wouldn't say man up, but they need to God up and fortify that little mustard uh, seed of faith they have and need to pray and need to saturate themselves in the word of God and the power of God and even to the point of prayer and fasting, reach in to the heart of the matter because prayer worketh by love. And Jesus says, how long? Not just so that he would hear the pain of the father, but he wanted his disciples to hear the hopelessness of this father, the pain of this father, so that the disciples would take the ministry completely seriously. Oh, we need some churches that are more serious. Serious about freedom. Serious about deliverance. Because he wanted to hear the pain 
I hate to say this, but most churches never hear the pain of the world. All they do is get tranquilized every Sunday morning by good cheer. I think so many times the church never feels the bloodletting, the hurting, the regurgitating of sorrow and pain in people's lives because we're kind of shielded in these walls. We're shielded by God's word, but I'm here to tell you out there, you brush shoulders with someone, maybe at the supermarket, maybe at the Walmarts, maybe at work, maybe your neighbor, you brush shoulders with someone, they're dying inside, they're hurting inside, and they just need a smile from you and an encouragement from you and a blessing from you and the good news of Jesus Christ flowing out of your heart your lips to them about how good God is. How long has he been this way? And the father says, well, he's, he's been so bad that oftentimes he's cast into the fire. The devil takes him and throws him into the fire. In those days, there was a lot of fires everywhere. They heated by fire. They didn't, have, they didn't have the means that we have today, no electricity. They, they lighted their rooms by fire. They cooked by fire. They heated by fire. They burned their garbage by fire. There was fires everywhere. And this fallen creature would take this son and cast him into the fire, trying to burn him alive. Would cast him into a burning fire, a cooking fire, a, a heating fire. And if that isn't enough, he would try to drown him in water. And there was waters were dangerous back then because the waters were deep wells. And they would make huge pools of water to trap the water in the time for sacrifice and trying to live. It, it, water was trapped. Water was precious. And they would, the devil would take this boy this son, and cast him into the waters trying to drown him. Slam him against the ground. Beat his mind to pieces. Take away his joy. Take away his life. Butcher his future. This demon was so hideous that it was blackening the heart of this young son. This young son didn't have a chance without Jesus Christ. And I want you to know this world doesn't have a chance without Jesus Christ. This fallen world doesn't have a chance without Jesus Christ. And this young son was tormented. He was beaten by this demon. He was tortured by this demon. And, and Jesus just says to that demon, come out. He commands the demon to leave this young man. And it was so powerful that when the devil left this young man, in Mark chapter 9, verse 26 and 27, they said, this young man is dead. When the devil left this young man, he ripped him. And the young man laid there stillness on the ground. And in Mark chapter 9, they said he's dead. Verse 27, the next verse says in Mark chapter 9 that Jesus raised him up. Now, I don't know whether he was dead or not, but if he's dead, Jesus raised him from the dead right there. 
Now, he probably wasn't dead, but had he been dead, it don't matter. God is powerful than death, powerful than anything that would come a person's way. And Jesus cast the devil out of this man. He set this man free. He's put an end to his suffering. He put an end to his pain, put an end to his grief. This young man, this son, is set free because Jesus Christ, having compassion, commands it to go, and that it does go. And Jesus Christ relieves this son. I, I, it's beautiful where the father says to Jesus, I brought him to your disciples. They couldn't do anything. But Lord, if you can do anything, please help. And Jesus Christ said, if you'll believe, all things are possible. If you'll just trust me, believe me, all things are possible. And the father said, Lord, I believe, but help mine unbelief. And Jesus helped his unbelief. I want you to know Jesus will help your unbelief too. Jesus will overpower your unbelief. All you need to do is grab hold of your little mustard seed of faith. Everybody in this room, you have a little mustard seed of faith. That's nothing. And the disciples said, why couldn't we cast this demon out? And Jesus Christ said, well, you know, if you, had the, if you just believe because of your unbelief, and if you just had the faith of a mustard seed, you could just say to this mountain, Mount Hermon, this great big mountain, move, and it will move. Jesus wasn't saying they didn't have faith. He was saying, you need to use what you got if you have the faith of a mustard seed, which they had. It makes no difference how much faith you have, whether it's a mustard seed or a mountain of faith. It doesn't work as long as you have unbelief voiding out your belief. And Jesus Christ said, because of your unbelief, you couldn't cast this devil out. But if you would say to this mountain, just say it, go. It should go. If you had the faith of mercy, because nothing is impossible to him that believeth. I love that, don't you? But Jesus Christ, when the disciples said, why couldn't we cast them out? Jesus Christ said this, because of your unbelief. If you have the faith of a mustard seed, if you would believe and not doubt, you'll, you can speak it and it'll take place. What do we need to do? We have the faith of a mustard seed. What do we need to do? We need to, we need to nourish it with the water of God's Word. We need to fill it in with the Word of God. We need to stand in faith and remove doubt and unbelief from our mind and, and gird up our loins with the good Word of God and pray and seek God's face to the point of fasting and prayer. Cry out to God so that God would saturate us with the power of God and strengthen the faith we have to move mountains. And so Jesus Christ says, the reason you couldn't cast out the demon, this, this demon out of this young man, because of your unbelief, but he went on to say this in verse 21 of Matthew 17. Howbeit this kind goeth not out but by prayer and fasting. 
The word kind there, howbeit this species, this creature of a different authority, of a different power. The world's full of demons. The world's full of fallen angels. And most of them are bound in chains of darkness. At least I, the worst ones are. But obviously this young son was attacked by one of the strongest of the species of this kind. And Jesus Christ said, this kind cometh not out but by prayer and fasting. So when my Bible doesn't say fasting, get you a Bible that does. Amen? And it says, by prayer and fasting, depriving the flesh, not allowing the flesh to have its way in your life, not allowing the flesh to rule or dictate to the, uh, the, the motives and the things of your life. This kind, this species, this fallen creature will not come out except by prayer and fasting. And that's why you couldn't do it because this is of a different kind. Now, they'd been casting out demons prior to this in the sixth chapter of Mark. They'd been casting demons prior to this in the first few chapters of Matthew when Jesus sent them out. But they came across one that was stronger than they had ever encountered. And I want you to know that all of us in life will come across something stronger than anything we've ever encountered. All of us will face something in our life that we will, will come across stronger than we've ever encountered. And it will call on us to take Jesus real. It will call on us to take the Bible for what it says. It will call on us to trust God. It will call on us to, to cry out to God, to pray, and to seek God's face. This, this opposition to us will, will cause us and press us down unless we get out from under it. These, this opposition will beat our head in and pound us like this, like this tormenting devil that was in this sun pushing him down, pounding him, trying to kill him. And Jesus comes along and says, uh-uh, 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 not today. Go, and don't you ever come back into this young son ever again. Amen. Now, I approached my next part of the message very reverently. But there was another son an only son that was tormented too. And he was tormented so that men and women that are tormented now can be set free by what he did on the cross of Calvary. There's another son that was tormented on the cross of Calvary so that he could set tormented men and women free because of what he did. Now, sickness couldn't touch him. They couldn't stone him. They couldn't kill him. They tried everything they 
could. The devil tried everything that he could to stop Jesus Christ. Man tried to stop him. Things of the earth, the, 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 the storms on the sea against the boats tried to stop him. Many things came against Jesus Christ, tried to stop him, but he is the unstoppable Lord of glory. He's the unstoppable mighty God, Jesus Christ. Nothing can stop him. Nothing can, can veer him aside unless he chooses to. See, Jesus Christ said in Luke chapter 22, I think it's around verse 53. Let me look at it real quick. Jesus has come out of the garden of Gethsemane. Verse 53, I'll back up a little bit to a piece of the verse, verse 52. This is in Luke 22. He said, you come out against me as thieves, and swords, you come out with swords and staves. When I was daily with you in the temple, this is when they're arresting Jesus, you stretched forth your hands against me. But he said, now something's changed. But this is your hour and the power of darkness. See, no, nobody could stop Jesus. In the 10th chapter of St. John, death couldn't stop Jesus. Jesus Christ said, I lay my life down willingly. No man can kill me. I lay it down, my life down willingly. I rise it up again willingly. And so Jesus Christ tells these leaders that tried to stone him, tried to destroy him, tried to stop him. And I think he was also telling the devil, you've tried. You've, you've given it your best shot. You've tried to stop me, but nothing can stop me. I went through the land healing the sick, raising the dead, setting free the tormented men and women. I brought forth blessing and miracle after miracle, walking on the water to my disciples. I am the manifested presence of God Almighty in the land. And Jesus Christ, I come unstoppable. I came as mighty God. I came as Messiah, deliverer of the world. And you couldn't touch me. Sickness couldn't touch him. Death and disease couldn't touch him. War couldn't touch him. Anger couldn't touch him. The devil couldn't touch him. But one day, Jesus Christ walked and crumbled in the midst of that garden of Gethsemane under the load of great drops of blood as it, uh, uh, sweat as it were great drops of blood. He agonized in the, in the garden. They come out with sticks and staves and swords to arrest Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ says, okay, okay. This is your hour. The power of darkness. And so Jesus Christ, the reason he could deliver this tormented son was because this son, Jesus Christ, God's son, is going to take this son that was tormented, he's going to take his place. And I want you to know Jesus Christ took your place. When it comes to sin, when it comes to destruction, when it comes to hell and judgment, Jesus Christ took your place. He's the son that couldn't be touched by any power. 
He's the son that goes to the cross of Calvary, mounts that cross like a weapon against warfare, against satanic powers. He mounts that cross like a sacrifice between heaven and earth and says, give it your best shot. Devil, beat me with a cat on nine tails. Devil, scourge me. Put a sword in my side. Drive nails in my hand. Do your best. Do your best shot. This is your hour and your power of darkness. This is your hour to try to destroy me. Do your best. Try to bring me down, rip my beard out, beat my head, uh, scourge me beyond uh, recognition of a human being, nail me to the cross, blood let me on the cross, let me agonize on the cross, and let me take the torment of mankind on the cross. You say, I don't believe that. Psalm 22, he took the torment of us on the cross. I didn't say Psalm 51, although that brings it in. I'm saying Psalm 22 depicts a a, a demonic activity at the cross of Calvary. And God's son, his only son, went to the cross of Calvary, died upon that cross. The devil gave his best shot, beat him beyond recognition, killed him. Actually, he didn't kill him. Jesus killed himself. That's not good English, but Jesus killed himself. Jesus gave himself to the Lord as a sacrifice to his father, and he dies on the cross of Calvary. He goes limp. He's put in a tomb. They did their best. They did all they could to destroy the Son of God. But Jesus Christ said in Luke chapter 9, let this saying sink deep into your ears. Let this saying go deep into your ears. The Son of Man must be betrayed of man. I'll be crucified, but the third day I shall rise again from the grave. Woo! And so the devil gave his best shot. And Jesus Christ was put in the tomb but he couldn't be holding of death because he's the prince of life. Jesus Christ is the son that took this son's torment. Jesus Christ is the son of God that takes your torment and takes your hopelessness, takes your sin, takes your darkness. And Jesus Christ said, I'll bear it on the cross. I'll go to the tomb. I'll raise again from the grave. And you'll have good news, good news. I am alive, and I hold the keys to death, hell, and the grave. Good news. I've broken the powers of darkness and and the grave. Good news. I've conquered the devil. Good news. I'm the way out. I'm the way out and up into the presence of God. Good news. I'm the redeemer. And so this son that was a lunatic, this son that was beaten and tortured, Jesus Christ comes and says, I'll set him free. Bring him to me. And this world has been such a mess. This world is in such a mess. And Jesus is still saying, bring him to me. Jesus is still saying to this world, bring him to me. No matter how, no matter what species of power of demonic activity, devil gave his best shot against Jesus and Jesus overcome 
death, hell, and the grave. He rose again from the grave the third day. He's the victorious Savior of the world. And while this young man, this son, was being beaten and being tormented, I want you to know that oftentimes the father said he was cast into the fire. This, this demon bound son. And I want you to know that Jesus was cast into the fire. I don't mean he went to hell. I mean he was cast. The cross of Calvary was a fiery place. Jesus was cast into the fires of hopelessness, the fires of pain. He was cast into the waters of destruction and the flood waters of despair. And Jesus Christ, the Son of God, overcomes death, hell, and the grave so that he can say to a demon-possessed man, a son, come out, and that demon has to come out. And the demon came out and rent him in two, rent him beyond repair. And here's the truth. I don't know whether the boy was dead. Mark chapter 9 says, he's dead. He's dead. Luke said he was torn in pieces. Mark said he was torn. He laid there as a dead son. I don't know whether he was dead or not. But I know according to Mark chapter 9, it says in verse 26 and 27 that Jesus Christ took him by the hand and he arose. Jesus' hand is right here. I'm not Jesus, but Jesus, figuratively, Jesus' hand is stretched out to you. Jesus' hand is stretched out to you saying, get up. I know the devil's beat you. I know the devil's tormented you. But I've set you free. Get up. And Jesus stretched forth his hand to lift this young boy up. And I want you to know the father stretched forth his hand to raise his son up from the grave. This is a beautiful picture of redemption through Jesus Christ. This young boy was bound by a species of a fallen angel of some sort that required prayer and fasting. And I want you to know that there's those demonic annoyances that come our way that a simple rebuke in Jesus' name and they'll flee. There's those things that come our way that we can work, work through, we can muddle through, that we can labor through and believe and pray and trust God. But then there's those things that get a hold of us. We can't seem to shake the depression. We can't seem to shake that spirit that's come upon us. We can't seem to shake that hopelessness. We can't seem to shake that despair. We can't, can't seem to shake that addiction. We can't seem to shake that problem. And I want you to know that something's got a hold of you that's going to require God's people to pray and fast. There's something got a hold of you that's going to require you to care more about what God wants in your life, even if it means you are to die first. If, if the devil 
said die, I'd refuse to lay down. If the devil tried to get me to die, I refused to die. But if Jesus ever said, lay down and die, I'd say, which rug you want me to lay on? You want me to fall to the left or the right? If Jesus told me to die, I'm not afraid because Jesus also can raise me from the dead. Whatever Jesus Christ calls on us to do, we need to obey him because Jesus Christ can give us the deliverance. Those disciples, Jesus Christ said, it's because of your unbelief. And you can say to the mountain, if you've got faith as a mustard seed, you can say to the mountain, and we're speaking to Mount Hermon there, the huge mountain, that you could say, move. And if you believe what you say, it shall come to pass. Now, God, I'm sure, wants you to leave the hills and hollers around here alone. I'm sure God placed every mountain where he wants them. If he wants to rearrange that, he'll do that in Zechariah when the Lord returns. The mountain here represents something so big you can't climb over it, you can't climb around it. You just got to speak to it. You got to bristle yourself in the gospel of Christ. You got to speak to it. Move. I'm not walking around you. I'm not going to climb over you. And I'm not going to say, pardon me. I'm going to tell you, step aside. And we, we Christians need to learn to tell depression, step aside. We Christians need to tell addiction, step aside. We Christians need to tell uh, fear and unbelief, step aside. We Christians need to tell sickness and disease, step aside. I'm not going to say, pardon me. I'm going to say, get the hits behind me. Step aside. That's faith. I don't want to lead you astray, but you wouldn't be in this building if you didn't have a mustard seed of faith. You wouldn't even be here. Now, your mustard seed of faith may not be gospel faith, but you're here because you believe God. There is a God. But everybody in this room has a little mustard seed of faith. But seeds are meant to plant. And when you plant those seeds, they grow. And the miracle life of God comes out of the seed. And out of that seed comes specialties. Out of that seed comes enormous blessings and fruit. I don't know what your seed of faith is carrying today. But I would venture to say it's carrying victory. I'd venture to say that little seed of faith that's in you, you just got to plant him in God's Word. It's got to set him in the water of God's Word. You just got to begin to speak the things you want. You need to say to those things that's in your way, step aside. Step aside. I'm going to church. Step aside. 
I'm going to read my Bible. Step aside. I'm going to pray and believe God. Step aside. I'm going to obey God. Step aside. I'm not going to be crumbled or dictated by the world. Step aside. I'm not going to be a man or a woman that's under bondage. I am free in the power of Jesus Christ. No more tormented son, no more tormented daughter, no more tormented person. Jesus Christ took our torment on the cross of Calvary. And not one person in this room should have an ounce of torment in your life. Look to God, trust God, get happy, cheer up, chin up, smile, love God, serve God, and say, I'm going through The old devil tries to worm into your brain. Let me know what I'm talking about. The devil tries to worm into your brain. He usually worms into your brain through your ear or through your eye gate. Sometimes he'll worm into your brain through your mouth. Sometimes you'll get around someone that's wormy and they'll share their worms. He said, that's so crude, preacher. I know, but I can't help myself. I, I, I'm from the sticks and the hollers. I can't help myself. I mean, I'm just me. But those things are got to get in your mind. And if you leave them there, they'll torment you. But you need to not doubt in your heart, but believe the things you say it shall come to pass. You need to trust your God. You need to Remove unbelief. Just as this young father said, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Every one of us need to, please don't get mad at me. Well, yeah, get mad at me, not the Lord. Your unbelief needs to be worked on more than your faith. I said, your unbelief needs to be worked on more than your faith. Because your faith's not going to die. Your faith's going to be there. Your faith's going to grow. It's your unbelief that stands in the way. And you need to tell it, step aside. And Nevada says, Lord, I believe. Help thou my unbelief. And I think that could be a prayer by everyone in this room. We believe, but help thou our unbelief. Why? Because Jesus wanted to hear the pain of this father. Can you imagine? It wasn't just the son that was beaten and concussions and nose probably broke and just, you know, just the devil just pounded him in the ground into the dirt. It was and would cast him into the fire and he'd be burned and cast him into water and he'd be almost drowned. And the father would have to go in behind that and rescue that boy constantly. The father, could you, can you imagine the torment the father was going through? Sin doesn't torment within itself. It torments all those that you live with. Sin doesn't torment just you alone. Sin will torment those who love you. So I want to say to everyone in this room, the man that was tormented, the son that was tormented, God says, I so loved him, and I so love you that I sent my son 
to be tormented and raised again from the grave so that you can say to all those things, step aside. You can believe in the miracle power of God. I believe in the miracle power of God. You know, I think we need to communicate with God. We need to communicate with God in our musing, in our thought process. We need to communicate with God in reading His Word and rejoicing in what it says. We need to communicate with God in saying amen, praise the Lord, worshiping God in song service. We need to communicate with God in prayer. We need to communicate with God in fasting, saying we want you more than anything in the world. We need to communicate with God in many different ways. Sometimes I'll read my Bible silently. Other times I'll read it out loud because I want to hear it. And just last night, I do this occasionally, not always, but once in a while, I'll sit down and I'll write a letter to God. And while I'm writing that letter to God, I say, with a little smile and a little laugh. You're looking over my shoulder, aren't you? And while I write a letter to God this way, and the Lord says, hurry up. And the Lord says, you can use ten fingers. I said, no, I can't. One. Man, I... I have written four books, actually five books. I've written five books. <laughs> My poor old finger's been resurrected so many times. <laughs> but I write a letter. I'm not going to read that letter that I wrote to God last night. I did write a letter to God in prayer. I wrote a letter. I'm not going to read it to you till later. I wrote it down. I typed it. I got the letter ready, full page prayer, full page letter to God. And I'm not going to read it to you until God answers that letter. And when he answers that letter, I'm going to read it to you because he will answer my letter. I took that letter this morning and brought it into the church. I put one on the table back there, that pretty table, and I took the other one and laid it on the altar. And I said to God in my prayer this morning, like Hezekiah got a letter from Sennacherib, and he brought the letter of Sennacherib, doom and gloom, and he went to the temple, and Hezekiah laid that letter before the Lord, laid it before you, Lord, and he said, you've got mail. I sat there this morning and said, Lord, you've got mail. I read it to him. He informed me he could read it himself. That letter back in the back, all the lights are out. Early in the morning, 4.30 this morning, 5 this morning, all the lights are out. I walk back to that beautiful table. And my letter that's sitting there on that glass has a beautiful lit up dove in the middle of it. 
I thought, that's really cool. I like that. So I turned on the lights, and the dove was still there. I turned out the lights, and the dove was still there. So I took that letter and put it in an envelope. I dated it, sealed it. And one day, I'll read it to you. We've got a miraculous God. And maybe you need to just sit down and write a letter to God. Wouldn't hurt you. See, I'm not a typer. And maybe you can just write it, handwrite it. God's an interpreter. Amen? God knows if our church didn't need your tithes and offerings, I could take some of your checks to the pharmacy and get a prescription. Don't tell them what I could get by the way you write. I thought that was cool, and I, a, a, a white dove. It, wasn't a, it was a white dove on that letter. Now, I don't know exactly what that means, but I, I'm sure it doesn't mean that God's displeased with the letter. Even if the spelling wasn't absolutely correct in some of it, I did my best. I wrote in one of my books the other day, I said, don't proofread me unless it's for a glorious publication. That's kind of exciting, isn't it? The Lord answers prayer. And you'll be the first, when the Lord answers that prayer, you'll be the first for me to read the mail. I don't know how long. Mail travels slow sometimes, but God maybe travels really slow. I don't know, but I'll get to read it to you someday. And I'll give you the date and when it was wrote, and I will, and I will remind you of this morning what I said. We have an awesome God. He's incredible. Are you hurting about something? Write a letter to God. Are you discouraged about something? Write a letter to God. Pray and talk to God. He's real. And He'll touch your life and He'll bless you. Josh is going to come and bring a song. I hope you've enjoyed today's message. Hope the Lord spoke to your heart. Because Jesus is still saying to all of us in this room, you can't do it, but bring Him to me. Bring her to me. Bring that child to me. Bring that loved one to me. Bring that person to me. Because Jesus did what you and I couldn't do. He went to the cross, went to the tree to suffer so that he could redeem all those that are tortured by the devil. Stand with me. We're going to give an invitation. You say, preacher, you want to read that letter to me? No, nope, no, nope. I'm going to wait till it's time. But I'll remind you that God answers. He answers our prayers. Altars open if you'd like to come and talk to the Lord.